Thanks for listening to another leadership podcast from Pastor Jurgen and the team here at C3 San Diego. To find out more about our church, go to c3sandiego.com. Come with me in, in your Bibles. I just want to share a few thoughts that, with you this morning. If you're going to uh, get a title for this, it'd just be called Small Things. Small Things. Small Things Have Big Impacts. We're coming into our vision builders. And, uh, and you may wonder how we're going to take the city. I honestly believe that everything rises and falls in the kingdom on, on small things. So in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verse 30, or if I was speaking to an Aussie audience, I'd say Mark. Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verse 30. So funny, whenever we land in Australia and we get off at the airport, have you noticed, like, it's like, oh, dear, surely I didn't sound like that. It's so nasal, isn't it? Sharon! <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Shane! <laughs> Kylie! You know, you go and, get, go and see if your mum wants a flat white, love. And you're like, oh, dear God, please tell me I didn't sound like that. Please, Jesus, tell me I did not sound like that. Oh, gosh. But anyway, so, but we can't win. We come back. Oh, you, oh where are you guys from? Australia? England? Oh, yeah, we're from, from Australia. And then we go down there. Oh, you guys sound like Yanks. How the heck do we? So we're foreigners in both countries now. Mark 4 verse 30 says this. To what then shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground is smaller. Everyone say smaller. Is smaller than all the seeds on the earth, but... When it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all the herbs, shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air nest in its shade. Kingdom of God is like a little mustard seed. I just love that about God. It does, he doesn't have to choose the biggest seed. He doesn't have to choose an acorn. He says, you know, the devil needs an acorn to try and fluff and puff up his chest. He says, there's more power in the tiniest little mustard seed that has the kingdom of God within it than all the power of the kingdoms of this world in the biggest. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, smaller than all the seed, but when it is sown, it begins to grow. You know, the greatest thing that you can develop is faith. Pastor Leanne was preaching on the weekend and uh, she was preaching a question that Jesus asked. He said, you know, when I return to the earth, when, when I return, will, will, will I really find faith? He didn't say when I return, will I find charity? Will, will I find compassion? Now, charity is important. Compassion's important. He didn't say when I return, will I find love? Love's important. Grace, mercy. He says, when I return to the earth, will I, will I find faith? Now, as Jesus was trying to let us in on a little bit, a bit of a secret, that the great war on the earth is against faith. Because the devil knows if he can take away faith, charity, love, grace, everything else falls by the wayside. Jesus comes down from the mountain and nine disciples have a contention with a man whose demon-possessed son has epilepsy, it throws him into the fire, throws him into the water. He brings the boy to the disciples because he heard just a few chapters earlier they were casting out demons and they come, came back rejoicing that even the demons submit to me in the name of Jesus. But now it seems like they'd short-circuited their power because they couldn't get this demon out. Perplexed, Jesus says, oh, 
O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring the child to me. And Jesus immediately cast the demon out. When the disciples come to him afterwards, they say, how come we couldn't cast it out? He didn't say, because I'm the Messiah and you're not. He said, because of your unbelief. I tell you the truth, this type, this type only comes out through prayer and fasting. He was just up on the mountain being transfigured with God. And so he was trying to model to them that the, 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 the longer that you are in the world, the more the world will uh, anesthetize you. The, we, we have to continually get away with God. We have to continually press in in worship. We've got to be continually found in His Word. You're either in the Word or you're in the world. You're either in the Word or in the world. And the world is constant around you. And it has a thermostat setting that is anti-faith. It is anti-Christ. It is anti- and it'll dilute your faith. And so we've got to continually extract ourselves, find ourselves in the Word of God. Faith is so powerful that the Bible says in Mark chapter 5 that Jesus was walking through a crowd. The crowd was thronging Him. The crowd was pressing about Him. And the Bible says there was a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years. She comes behind Him in the press and she says within herself, If only I may touch the hem of His garment, I shall be made whole. And you know the story. She reaches out and touches just the hem of His garment and power leaves Him. And Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, are you kidding me? Everybody. He's like, no, no, no. Somebody touched me with faith. So that's interesting. So these were followers of Jesus. These were His fans. These were His followers. These were worshippers, which means you can be a follower of Jesus. You can be a worshipper of Jesus. You can be hanging out with Jesus. These were people that took the day off work to spend time with Jesus. You can be spending time in or with the Word of God and still not get healed. What, what God is highlighting in the story that a woman, when she heard about Jesus, said within herself. So when she heard about Jesus, it changed the Word. It changed the amen on the inside of her. It changed the revelation. When the word came, revelation came. And when that revelation came, she began to say, if only I can touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. When she touched him, the power that was in Jesus didn't go to anybody else <coughs> Excuse me. who was touching him. Lots of people were touching him, but one woman who touched him with faith. So it wasn't so much the touch, it was the faith that drew the power of God like a lightning rod into her body. And Jesus turns around and when she realizes what it was, she said, it was me. And Jesus, daughter, your faith has made you whole. I, I want you to understand that it is so important that we are a faith church. It is so important that we preach the Word of God. You, you, and, and one word from God. One word from God is so powerful. Have a look at um, Luke chapter 3. This is, this is still my muse. This is my go-to. This is kind of, you know, there are some scriptures, there are some messages you hear, and that just becomes like I'm stealing that. That is going to be my life mantra. That, that's this one. It's this one for me. Luke chapter 3. It says, now in the 15th year, excuse me, sometimes you've got to sneeze just to get blessed. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip tetrarch of Idorea, and the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias tetrarch of Abilene. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, governor of Judea, Herod tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip tetrarch of Idorea, and 
the region of Trachonitis. Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene. Well, Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. The word of the Lord, or the word of God, came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Word of God didn't come to Tiberius Caesar. The word of God didn't come to Pontius Pilate. The word of God didn't come to Herod. Word of God didn't come to Philip. The word of God didn't come to Lysanias. The word of God didn't come to Annas and Caiaphas, who were high priests. The word of God came to John the Baptist in the wilderness. The Bible says, and as John began to preach the word that came to him, all the people from Judea, all the people from these regions, that these people, these people had political power. These people had authority. But when John the Baptist began to preach the word of God from those places, people began to draw. The Bible says all the region of Israel, all the region of Judea began to come out to John into the wilderness. No air conditioning, no fancy buildings, no, no stores into the wilderness to hit because they weren't crossing a street to go into the synagogues but they were walking for hours and hours to go out into the wilderness because there was a man that had a word from God. When you and I have a word from God on the inside of us, you, you need to understand that God wants to speak to you. And the way that I find that it comes is it comes in small things. The, the word of the Lord has always come to me in a whisper. You, you've heard the story years ago. God said, you know, I want you to be faithful, faithful and uh, awkward conversations. And so I'm like, okay, I got the awkward conversations thing down. And I, and I went to the restroom at the Starbucks in Forest Ranch and, uh, and I walk in, oh my gosh, it's a pigsty. Someone who needs to clean this. And so I'm using the bathroom. I'm like, okay, God, talk to me about the faithfulness thing. And God says, clean up the bathroom. And I'm like, that is the devil. If I've ever heard the <laughs> devil, there is pee, there is number two stains here. There's, this is horrible. There's stuff all over the floor. I ain't cleaning up somebody else's. And then it came to me again, clean up the bathroom. If, you, if I can't trust you to clean up this mess, how can I? So now I can't go into a bathroom without cleaning it. I leave every bathroom cleaner than when I walked in. And, and it's not always pretty. It's not always pretty. And especially, you know, you fly and people don't understand there's a flush button. You can actually flush. You know, and then I want to clean it because, you know, there's people going to go in after me and I don't want them to think I left that. So I'm like, that wasn't me. That was the jack wagon before me. And, uh, and then this may not have even been God. This may just be my own thought. But uh, then I started, you know, going to like Ralph's and Vaughn's and stuff and I'd see a shopping cart, you know, just kind of left up on the curb and you can't park. Ah, you thought it was a park and there's shopping carts in there. I felt the Holy Spirit say, and I'm like, no, no, God, no, 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 I don't need to. They actually pay people. I don't want to take away someone's employment. And, uh, and I, I honestly, you know, I think, I, I honestly think now, I, I think it was God, but I didn't know at the time. But I, I reckon sometimes God will actually leave a little bit of mystique just to see whether you'll obey. Like, does it need to be sign written in the sky? Does it need to be a finger written in the wall for you to be obedient? And so, so I can't, you ask Pastor Leanne, I can't leave a shopping cart sitting there. And, uh, and I, I rarely ever just put mine back. I always look around, is there one, one other one at least nearby that I can put back? I, you know, I won't, I won't do that. And, and it may sound like it's just so silly. It's so silly. It's such a small thing. But I've actually found that God lives in the small things. I found that 
that if I can hear God in the small things, then he'll be there when I need him in the big things. Like when, you know, when, you, when you're dealing with a, with a son who's struggling with a, with a grip of the devil over his life to try and take him out and he feels so beaten down and so discouraged that he's not sure he wants to continue forward. You can go into your closet and the same God who possibly was the God whispering to you in a Target or Avon's parking lot about putting shopping carts back, all of a sudden a word comes flashing across your mind of a scripture you can stand on and you can stand on the word and begin to pray. You need to understand that the word framed everything. And the Bible says the word holds everything together. In him, everything consists. Everything was made by him, for him, and through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life. And that life is the light of man. There is something about the word of God. When the word of God comes to you, you're standing on an invincible force. Now we pray, we pray the word, we speak the word. You and I have been created to be the vice regents of God, to declare God's word into the earth so that his will is done on earth as it is in heaven all of God's will is in his word and all of his word is in his will and so God is just looking for people who will speak his word forth so that God's because God watches over his word to perform it he's looking for for a generation so 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 I found I found that that the most important thing I can begin to build is I want to be John the Baptist I want to be John the Baptist. He has, he has no title. He has no position. He has no authority. He has no standing. You know, right now, these are all the famous people. They're the ones that are on CNN and MSN. They're the ones on the evening news and on the talk shows and on the magazines. And Vanity Fair is, is covering these guys. But John the Baptist is in a wilderness, but he becomes a, a word of the Lord magnet. I don't know about you, but I want the word of the Lord to be found. I want the word of the Lord to, if God is looking to send a word to San Diego that I'm standing in attention ready to receive speak Lord your servant hears to, to allow the word of God now I say that because when I look back at my life I begin to find that, that it was the, the little things it was the little things those little moments you know Elijah Elijah has called down fire from heaven He's defeated the, the prophets of Baal executed the prophets of Asherah 850 prophets in one day uh, he's brought a whole nation back to God in revival. It's kind of like he, the, all the heavy lifting is done, mission accomplished. But then instead of praise, he gets the harshest criticism from the woman who occupies the second highest authority in the land, Jezebel. And she says, the gods do so to me and more also if by this time tomorrow you are not like one of my prophets that you just killed. And the Bible says Elijah has got nothing left. And he runs and he hides in the wilderness and he falls asleep and angels have to feed him. And he ends up going 40 days and he's in a cave. And, and literally his testimony is, I'm no better than my father's. He sees the generational iniquity and the generation, I'm no better than my father's. It is enough now, Lord, take my life. I don't want to live anymore. And he's in a cave and the Bible says that, that a strong wind tore into the cave, that it tore up the rocks, and, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. You would have thought that God was in this whirlwind, this, this tornado, this, this wrecking thing, but God wasn't there. Then an earthquake so that everything shook and the ground split and rocks fell, but God wasn't in the earthquake. Then a fire like this this blazing fire and Elijah's thinking surely God is in the fire God wasn't in the fire and then the Bible says but a still small voice whispers to Elijah what are you doing here Elijah and God was trying to show his his contrast 
the, the earthquake, the wind, the fire, all majesty, all magnificent, all gregarious and powerful. But God is trying to show that one whisper from God has more power than all of those things. And he's whispering to Elijah to show that I am with you because Elijah feels like I'm the only one. There's no, I'm the only one left. He's lonely. He's, he feels isolated. feels no one understands what I'm going through. And God whispers to him to say, I'm close. God whispers to, to him to say, I'm with you. And he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And in that still small voice, Elijah receives the instructions to anoint Hazael, king of Syria, to anoint, to anoint Elisha, the prophet who would do twice the miracles of Elijah, prophet in his place, to go and anoint Jehu as king who would ultimately preside over the execution and deliverance of Ahab and Jezebel who had their uh, occultic grip over Israel. All came from a moment in a cave where a small voice, a still small voice whispered to Elijah. I found that unfortunately the time where that still small voice is coming through on a very, very strong signal, like a five bars signal. I wish it was just one bar so I could say, I'm not sure that's good. But it's always five bars is right around giving. Have you ever noticed that? It's like, oh dear God, if I ever wanted to hear from you, now is not the time. Because you got crazy faith. I'm trying to live in reality, God. I know my bank account. I know my bills. You know what I've been saving for. I've put that money aside for something. It's designated. God, what part of designated do you not? And, and you find five bars. God is whispering in that still small voice. Give. You're like, God. I, I remember being in a miracle offering and uh, at Oxford Falls. And Leanne and I were, uh, we were going through something. I had no idea that we were on the cusp of a breakthrough. We, we were, you know, you reach an end of something. We were right at that end of a struggle. And that was the end of a struggle is always the beginning of a breakthrough. And so Leanne says, what are we going to give in the miracle offering? And back then, you know, for us, hundreds was, you know, was a big offering. And so, so I said, well, let's, let's, let's go generous. Let's give $500 in, in the offering tonight. And uh, so Leanne's like, okay, we'll do that. So we get there. And uh, anyway, Pastor Phil's preaching about Elijah, you know, calling down fire. Before he, before he calls down the fire, he takes water and he pours it on the altar. And I'm thinking, that's just the dumbest thing. Wouldn't you pour gasoline or kerosene or something? If you, you know, you're trying to get fire to eat the bull, you know, consume the bull. You, you, water douses fire. But, but Pastor Phil says, because in a time of drought, the most precious commodity is water. So Elijah pours it out. Can you give what's most precious? And right there, the word of the Lord came. This whisper came, double it. I'm like, oh, I don't want to double it. I don't want to double it. Oh, no. But I knew it was God. I knew it was God. So I said to Leanne, we screwed up our $500 check and we wrote a $1,000 one. And I went forward, put it in. Well, as I'm walking back, Pastor Phil goes, hey, yeah, youth pastor guy, yeah. Paragon, so I praise for me, I hit the deck. And I thought, great, thank God, I've hit the deck. And uh, that way, you know, the giving's done. You know, he's just going to keep going. So just that I'm just going to lay there. And uh, anyway, so Pastor Phil gets sidetracked. He's still going on. Anyway, about four or five minutes later, I kind of, you know, 
look around. I better get, so I get up and I go and sit back down. As I sit back down, I sit next to Louise Bernard, and she's got her Bible. And she goes, oh, my God, look at this. And she shows me the Bible, and it says, and Elijah said, do it a second time. And it, was, and it was, again, it was like the word of the Lord came to me, do it a second time. And I'm like, oh, no. And I said, God, that was, that was, we've got like $27. That's it left in our bank account. I can't do it a second time. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, put it on your credit card. I'm like, oh, dear God, you know, you need to be in those lectures where people say, don't get into debt and <laughs> the debt-free church and the debt-free life. And, and uh, anyway, and so, but do it a second time. And I knew I had to do it a second time. So I got my credit card, filled out the slip, went forward, did it a second time, you know, walked back now, sit down at the seat, but made the stupid mistake of sitting right back next to Louise Bernard. And she goes, wow, look at this. And she shows me and it says, and then Elijah said, do it a third time. I wanted to go from worship into Michael Jackson. Just leave me here, leave me here, leave me alone. Just stop talking. Yeah, anyway, and like I was just, I'm leave me alone. And so I knew I had it. So I, I wrote a third one. So I'm looking, there's, and I'm just getting away from Louise Bernard as far as I can. I think I sat in the youth section or somewhere. And, uh, I've got to get away from this, you know, three times. And then, then I'm thinking the service carries on. I'm like, how on earth? God, how on earth am I going to make this happen? Like, what the? I'm, I can't pay off. So anyway, we get out of that meeting. And there's a voicemail on my phone. I pick it up. And it's my friend Russell Evans who runs Planet Shakers. And he said, for whatever reason, a, a, a pastor that you know who pastors in Las Vegas had to cancel coming to... Uh, Planet Shakers, and he's like, Jurgs, we need you to come. Can you come? Uh, you got three sessions, and uh, we're going to look after you. We'll give you $3,000 per session. So I put three grand in. Nine grand came out. But at that time, I'd, I'd just written my book, Walk on Water, and they said, oh, and bring Walk on Water, and, uh, you know, and we'll, we'll, and we'll, and I, I think I sold like a thousand and something copies. And uh, so I came home with, with 20000 in book sales, nine I think $30,000 all up. So I put 3000 in and I got tenfold back. I had no idea. So we, were, we reached the end of, man, I don't know how we're going to make it. We reached the, but the end of man is the beginning of a breakthrough in God. But the, 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 the thing that crossed was can you, can you obey when all the rationale, can you obey? You know, how we ended up at C3, I honestly believe um, I, my senior pastor was meant to do the youth camp for Phil Pringle and double booked and was going to be in America. And so he comes, yokes, mate, you're going to have to do the youth camp. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, I've already called the youth pastor. It's fine. Sending you. I'm going to be in America. So I, I fly over to do the youth camp. Well, there's this little rambunctious punk kid. His head is shaved at the back and he's just got this blonde fringe like hanging in his eyes like right down like this, and he's just yelling out and throwing stuff, just disruptive all the way through the first session. I could hardly, you know, put a sentence together without him throwing something 
making a fart noise. I mean, just he was just a little punk. I, like, I'm like, I want to punch this. And anyway, I thought I could murder him, which would solve the issue. Or in the morning tea break, I could, you know, just connect with him. So he's out there riding on his skateboard and he's trying to do these ollies on a skateboard. And so I just start talking to him. I said, oh, can you do those on a surfboard? He goes, yeah, yeah, I can. I said, mate, that's awesome. Who's your favourite surfer? He goes, Kelly Slater. I said, oh, mate, that's my favourite surfer. He goes, oh, have you watched Colour? I'm like, oh, I love Kelly Slater. He goes, I got it on video. You want to come watch it? I said, mate, I'd love to come and watch it. So I'm sitting there watching it with him. And, and if you talk to Leanne, uh, you, she will tell you that if, if there's a TV going, chatter just... So he's trying to talk to me and I'm just watching Kelly Slater. And he's like, um, yeah, yeah, you're from New Zealand. I said, yeah, yeah, I'm from New Zealand. And I said, yeah, my dad's from New Zealand. That's cool, awesome. And he goes, yeah, you know my dad. No, I don't know you, so I don't know your dad. He goes, my dad's from Masterton. Oh, that's awesome, yeah, big place in New Zealand. You know, four million people. You know, I'm watching Kelly. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you know my dad. My dad's Phil. I said, that's cool. And a lot of Phil's. And, you know, he goes, you know my dad. I said, mate, I don't know who you are. I've got no idea who your dad is. He goes, really? You don't know who my dad is? I've got no idea. He goes, my dad's Phil Pringle. I said, your dad's Phil Pringle? He goes, you didn't know that? I said, man, I had no idea. He goes, I thought the only reason you were talking to me is because you knew who my dad was. I said, man, I, I had no idea who you were. So he moves from the back to the front, gets saved in the next meeting. <laughs> gets a little bit awkward because he, he steals a photo of me and puts it on his wall. And so Mama Chris would say that, I, you know, kind of, I was like his little teenage hero that he wanted to be, you know. And so, so we end up from just a little small thing. Just make friends with this little punk kid who's a disruptor. End up where Phil's like, I think you're the guy to be our, our youth leader. It's amazing little things. I remember when Leanne and I were living in New Zealand and uh, unfortunately they, they took... That they, they, they did this thing where to save money, they decided, hey, we're just going to take your tithe out from the beginning of your, uh, of your pay packet. So we're just going to reduce your pay by the tithe, which meant that, that you didn't really get to, to give because it was kind of taken from you. And so we began to run into all these financial walls because in my head, I'm like, well, the tithe's already been given, but really it wasn't because we weren't tithing on what, what we were getting. It was, it was this... It was just this weird, it was a really difficult lesson for us to learn. I remember driving to the Coromandel to go for a surf and it's about a two hour drive and I had Bible on tape in the car and I, and I was just lamenting to God because we just did this project for a guy who is the son of one of Auckland's biggest developers and he's the same age as me and he was buying an $850,000 home which in today's uh, equivalent would be about three and a half million dollar home simply to knock it down for its land value to rebuild on it and it was just spinning my head and so I'm driving along and I'm just listening to the parable of the talents to one was given five talents and he produced five more guy with two talents produces and I, I stopped it right there and I just had a moment with God I said see God you know the rich can prosper because it takes money to make money you got to have money to make money you know my dad disowned me when I went to Bible college. I got nothing. And I got a wife and I got a little, little baby, Jordan. And we, we live from hand to mouth. We live from paycheck to paycheck. We're struggling. And, uh, and I felt God say, so what are you saying? You're not a five-talent guy? I'm like, no. 
He says, all right, so financially, you're probably not even a two talent. I said, my dad freaking doesn't. He says, so you're one talent. I said, that's it. That's all I got, one talent. I got it. And then God says, well, the one talent guy, instead of burying it, like you're doing in your excuses, why don't you begin to invest? Because a one talent guy, if he would have asked the two and the five, hey, where are you guys putting your... He could have gone from one to two talent. They always got to do, it may take him a step or two longer, but he can now invest that two, reinvest that two, and now it becomes four. And then reinvest that four, it becomes eight. Reinvest that eight, now it becomes 16. Now he's ahead of the guy with 10 if that guy hasn't been investing. And God said, you may start here, but my principles work whether you're a five-talent guy, a two-talent guy, or a one-talent guy. My principles work. And it was... It was a moment that changed everything. Well, fast forward, we get to Australia, and I'm in Australia, and, uh, and then I felt God say, you know, you're, you, you've got ministry smarts, but you don't have financial smarts. And so I remember seeing the story of uh, a Catholic boy, uh, the eldest of eight kids, whose daddy died in a motorcycle accident when he was 16, and he had to leave high school, couldn't finish his high school, didn't get his GUD had to leave high school GED uh, and go and work. And the only place that was hiring was the local realtor. Needed someone to hammer in the for sale signs and, you know, go and get their coffee and their muffins each day. And so that was the only job going. And so he did that to try and put money on the table to help his mother and his seven siblings. We well, did that at 16, but by 19, he bought his first investment property. Bought an investment property. Fast forward about 20 years, he owns over a hundred properties in Australia and is Australia's one of, one of Australia's wealthiest young men. And so he wrote a book called The Seven Steps to Wealth. And in that he had perfected uh, an algorithm and a formula on how to buy investment properties in Australia, what you're looking for, low vacancy rate, growth rates, all this kind of stuff. And so the book cost me $19.95, five cents short of $20. So I bought that book and I devoured that book and I said to Leanne, I'm going to buy an investment property. It was such a little thing, such a little outlay, 20 bucks. I've got to be honest, the, the return on that $20, I would say probably be in, in the vicinity of about two and a half to $3 million. It was a little thing, $20 here, but the wisdom that I got for $20, two and a half, three million. In fact, if I was honest with you, if I, if I counted the church stuff, I'm just talking person, if I count the church stuff, It'll be even more than that. God moves in little things. God moves in small things. When the woman heard about Jesus, she came behind him. She said within herself, she was so little, nobody would have even noticed it. When Jesus says, who touched me, people didn't all point. Nobody knew. The disciples like, everyone's touching. She was almost insignificantly small. But yet the miracle and the flow of power was significant. God is going to speak to you around vision builders. You'll always find that there's always a wrestle with, with you know, your logic, with your rationale, your flesh, and then God. Your rationale and your flesh has got you to where you are. The Spirit of God wants to take you to where you can be in Him. And I found the most courageous and yet the most difficult thing is lean into Him. Lean into Him. Listen, He's not trying to get something from you. He's trying to get something to you. He's not trying to get something from you. Say, oh, okay, I know what this is. He's, you know, it's just to extract more giving. Honestly, I don't know what you give. I don't really, I just want to encourage that you will, you will learn to obey the Holy Spirit. 
Learn to obey his voice. Lean in. Let him speak to you. I can't tell you how many times Leanne and I have been in offerings and the Holy Spirit says, that is Ishmael. The breakthrough is not in Ishmael. Ishmael is an offering I can do without. I've calculated. God says to Abraham, take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac. Abraham's, don't. If you would have just said, give a son, Ishmael. Ish, come here, my son. Wow, how old are you now? What? Are you kidding me? 25? It <laughs> seems like 100, doesn't it? Anyway, God's asked for you. Yeah, sacrifice. Got to sacrifice you. God asked for you personally. Yeah, Ishmael would be going to the, the sacrifice. He's not given Isaac. He waited 100 years for this little miracle. But God says, no, no, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and offer him as a burnt offering on the altar because breakthrough wasn't in what he could live without. Breakthrough. Breakthrough was in what was most precious to him. And I've always found around the time of the offering, the Holy Spirit is always there. Now listen, was God wanting to take away Isaac? No, God was trying to multiply Isaac, but God can only multiply what's been surrendered to him. Jesus says, a grain of wheat remains a single seed unless it falls to the ground and dies. And if it dies, it'll produce much fruit. Kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, smaller than all the seeds. But when it is sown, but when it is sown, it grows larger than all the herbs and becomes a Jesus single seed. He knew for God to multiply, he had to go onto an altar. He had to give his life. He had to obey God and do what was difficult and give so that God could multiply. God was trying to multiply the seed, the sacrifice. You need to understand that whatever you hold back, God can't multiply. Whatever you lay down, whatever you put, God can multiply. God is a, the devil's a liar. The devil wants you to believe that giving means decrease. But if you understand the Bible all the way through the Scripture... Giving always leads to increase. Luke 6.38, give and it will be. Not it could be, not it may be, not touch wood, rabbit's foot. <laughs> give and it will be given. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Father, I thank you, Lord God, there are miracles on the other side of people's breakthroughs and people's generosities. Father, I thank you there's a spirit of faith on this house. I thank you, Lord God, that people are going to say we got pregnant when we told we, God is increasing and multiplying the fruitfulness of our lives, our bodies. Some people here, homes, second homes, third homes, investment properties. You don't have, you don't have to move to another place. You, you don't have to to move to Columbus or some remote region of Texas to get a you can get a house right here. Faith still works right here in California. You can have a fat daddy place in La Jolla right near the gardeners who believe God and God broke through. God is a breakthrough God. I see increases, I see favor, innovations, inventions, business deals, transactions, titles, escrow. Father, we see all of these things. All of these things, can I just say to you again, fear not, fear not. The Holy Spirit leads and guides you into all truth. He's the spirit of life. 
He doesn't lead you to death. He leads you through the valley of the shadow of death, the appearance of death, the, the feel, the weight. It seems like this is crazy. But through the other side, you come out with the head of the taunter, the head of Goliath, victorious, with the enemy running and you looking at promotion, you looking at king and kingdom. Father, I thank you for your sons and daughters. Bless them today. Bless them as we go into Vision Builders Weekend, Father. Begin to speak to them. Lord, let this be a breakthrough season in every person's life. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. Come on, if you got something, give God a great clap. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 Church San Diego, go to c3sandiego.com.